Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The Gospel for this weekend is a spiritual masterpiece. It paints a beautiful portrait of what God's mercy and love and forgiveness really looks like and how appropriate as today Holy Mother Church around the world celebrates the great feast of Divine Mercy Sunday. Pope John Paul II instituted Divine Mercy Sunday in the year 2000 based upon the apparitions of Sister Faustina. Sister Faustina received apparitions from Jesus Christ himself. And in these apparitions, he commanded Sister Faustina to make the world know just how overwhelming God's mercy and forgiveness is for each and every one of us. Now, the gospel, again, is very appropriate for this feast. Notice how it begins. On the evening of the first day of the week. Well, that's beautiful, isn't it? John is doing exactly what Matthew did last week in the gospel, in the story of the resurrection. John is reaching back to the story of creation in Genesis, and he's pulling that story right against this story of the gospel. He's telling us that the power and the beauty of the story of creation in Genesis is now matched with Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus' resurrection ushers in a new era of creation. After Christ has risen from the dead, this entire world, the entire universe changes for the better. Now, where are the apostles? It says they are in the upper room, locked behind closed doors. Well, the early church fathers saw this as a great symbol of the sinful soul. What do we do when we sin? Well, we lock ourselves up on ourselves. Our whole life is about satisfying our own ego, our own pleasures, and our own wants. We look out to the world and the sinful soul says, the world is about me and satisfying my desires. Or worse yet, the sinful soul has the attitude of saying, I want people to serve my needs first, and then everyone else comes second. Moral to it, notice the apostles. They're locked in the upper room. How are they able to serve God and minister to the people of God? Well, they can't because they're locked in that room. And so the early church fathers saw the apostles in that locked room as a symbol of the sinful soul, locked in on it on oneself. And yet, here comes that great moment of grace, the redemption of Jesus Christ. It says, despite the locked doors, Jesus appeared in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, the risen Lord transcends time and space, and that's good. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus breaks through the obstacles that we create ourselves, especially the obstacle of sin. He overcomes all those barriers in order to give us that same message, peace, shalom, I forgive you. So that what? Christ wants to take up residence 
in our heart, our mind, our soul. He wants to take up residence in our will and our intellect and remain there for all. And despite the obstacles that we may create, especially the obstacle of sin, Jesus gives us redemption. He gives us the message of peace. Shalom. You are forgiven. Now notice what happens next in the story. Jesus, he shows the apostles his wounds. Now why does he do that? Because he wants to show the apostles the effects of sin. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, came into this world. Did the world embrace Jesus? Not at all. Did the world accept him or his teachings? Not at all. You know, last week on Good Friday, we read the Passion, right? And we listened to the brutality of the Passion against Jesus. So Jesus shows the apostles his wounds. He's showing them. He's teaching them. This is the devastating effects of sin and what it has upon him. Now, we have to admit, we are all sinners. I'll be the first one to raise my hand to get into the line. We are all sinners. We cannot accept that old statement of I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Well, if that's really true, then we're not sinners and we don't need a Savior. But we are sinners and we do need a Savior. But we are forgiven sinners. We embrace God's overwhelming mercy. And that's a great message that Jesus wants to communicate to us in this gospel. And that's what we celebrate in the Feast of Divine Mercy Sunday. God's overwhelming mercy. If we just turn towards it and ask for it, it's given to us. Next, in the gospel, Jesus says to the apostles, Peace be with you, a second time. Now, why is that? Well, he says, Peace be with you to the apostles the first time in order to forgive their sins, their sins of betraying him, you know, leaving him at his greatest hour of need. The second reason why he says, Peace be with you, is to confer the power of forgiveness upon the apostles. Remember, The apostles represent the church. Now they become the mediator of God's mercy. The church's mission, to bring the Trinitarian love and mercy of God to all the world. That's what Jesus is doing when he says, Peace be with you the second time. And then breathes upon them and says, Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain are retained. Well, we feel that same experience ourselves, just like the apostles. We feel that sense of mercy from God every time we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, every time we go to confession, or we go to Mass. We receive God's grace and mercy. That's why when we pray the Our Father, we pray that God will forgive us in the very measure that we forgive other people. Now, the first part of the story ends there. But the second part begins, and that's with Doubting Thomas. Now, so many people can identify with Doubting Thomas. Thomas is a person that people can recognize themselves within, especially now more than ever. We tend to be a very skeptical society. Our society is really dominated by empirical and scientific points of view. It's the attitude of, I will believe it on my own terms. I will believe it only if I can analyze it and touch it and study it. Then I will truly believe. Well, that's not faith. And yet, 
that's what Thomas believes. And that's what's so prevalent in our society. Now, notice the first detail in the story. When Jesus appears to the apostles the first time, Thomas is not with him. That's bad, very bad. Again, remember, the apostles represent the church. Thomas is not in the church. It's a basic biblical truth. Jesus is most clearly seen in the church. That's why we have to remain in the community of the church so that we can clearly see the presence of the risen Lord. That's a great message for us all. And yet here lies the great temptation. So many Catholics have fallen away from the church. Just a few years ago, there was a Pew Research poll taken and it stated that 75% of all Catholics here in the United States no longer come to Mass. They've fallen away. Well, if people are falling away from the church, they have the mindset of, I don't need the church to tell me how to live my life. I don't need the church to tell me what is morally good and evil or what is the truth. I can decide that upon myself. That's why I constantly preach on moral relativism. You know, that is so prevalent in our culture today. And yet, if people set themselves away from the church, it's very hard for them to see the risen Lord, just like it was hard for Thomas to see and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we must remain in the church. In the church is Jesus clearly seen. More to it, we find the presence of the risen Lord stretching across space and time. You see the risen Lord around the world, in missionaries, in religious orders, in other churches. But you also see it stretching across time. For 2,000 years, you saw the risen Lord clearly seen in the lives of the saints, in theologians, prophets, and sacraments, as well as in the doctrine and dogma of our church. Therefore, it's imperative for us to remain in the church. Now, notice next in the story, Jesus appears to the apostles a second time. Now, Thomas is with them. He's in the church. And now he's clearly seen Jesus Christ for the first time, resurrection from the dead. Now, here we see probably the most dramatic scene in all of the Gospels, this encounter between Thomas and Jesus. Jesus says to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. Notice how Jesus handles Thomas. Is he frustrated with him? No, not at all. Now realize, Thomas has been with Jesus for three years. For three years, Jesus has prophesied about his impending passion, death, and resurrection. The apostles themselves told Thomas last week that they've seen the resurrected Christ, and yet Thomas refuses to believe. Is Jesus angry with this? Is he disappointed in Thomas? No, not at all. Instead, he treats Thomas very gently. You could say Jesus comes to Thomas's level of faith or belief in order to raise him up. And that's what's most important. You know, it's a basic biblical truth in the Gospels. When Jesus has a one-on-one encounter with any person, he always starts at their level of faith, whatever it is, and he raises them up so that their faith is stronger in the end. 
Well, that's something that's very important for us to understand and believe in. Jesus always comes into our life, and he comes at the level of faith that we are at. We are all at different levels of faith. Some stronger, some weaker, doesn't make a difference. We're all different. But what makes the difference is that Jesus comes to our level in order to raise us up so that our faith is stronger and our belief also is stronger. Now notice, Thomas probes the marks and the wounds, and then he makes that statement, My Lord and my God. There is no greater affirmation of faith in all of sacred scripture than that. And yet Thomas needed Jesus Christ in order to make that statement. He couldn't do it on his own, nor can we. Jesus Christ overcome the obstacles of Thomas, his fear and his doubt. And then he came to his level of faith in order to raise him up. And for Thomas to make that great proclamation of faith, Jesus does the same thing for us. He overcomes all the obstacles that we put up, especially the obstacle of sin itself. And then he comes to our level of faith, no matter what it is, in order to raise us up, to strengthen our faith. What must we do? What's our response? Surrender. Grasp that great invitation to strengthen our faith by Jesus Christ. See, when we do that, we, like Thomas, you know, can make that bold proclamation of faith ourselves, my Lord and my God, because we have seen the risen Lord in our life. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.